This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. What I'm going to speak on today, I have known this story since I was a child. I can practically recite parts of it. I have read it dozens and dozens of times. And I had come to my own conclusions about this person. I'd read it. I thought he was a weak, compromising mommy's boy. He, was, he led a totally dysfunctional family, and he was absolutely boring. And when I started, when I was asked to speak, and this man came to mind, I thought, what? I've never heard many sermons on him. In all the years I've been on church, nobody speaks on him. He's the forgotten person. He was the son of a superstar. He's the father of a superstar, and he's the grandfather of a superstar. They've had chapters written about them, whole storylines of scripture about them. But if you look at his story, it's really based in one and a half chapters. The other thing is, one big thing involves his father. The other big thing involves his son. He's a forgotten man. And I, in my own perception of what I thought I'd observed, had decided what he was like. And God said, dig a little deeper, Irene. Dig a little deeper. See what I've got to say about this man. And you know what? All of us have our perceptions. We have our perceptions about ourselves. We have our perceptions about other people. And we have our perceptions about Scripture. We even have our perceptions about Jesus. And God says, dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. So, when you look at him, he was one of the patriarchs named Isaac. Son of Abraham father of Jacob who became Israel, grandfather of Joseph. And his story, when you read it, is phenomenal. Now, I don't think he's that at all. I don't think he's that. He's a child of the promise. He's a trusting, faithful man who is willing to take wise advice. He was a peacemaker. He was a forgiving loving man. He was godly. And he was obedient to God. And because he lived a life of godliness, we sometimes find it boring. Do you know that? Because there's nothing going on. He's just a good man. And he's a forgotten man. He's rarely talked about. Some of you, obviously through our prophecy, that's how some of you feel about yourselves. That's how you feel about yourselves, that you're forgotten, that you've got nothing much to offer. But I'm telling you now, he's fantastic, and so are you. So let's listen to the story of, it, of Isaac and how God has spoken to me through it. First thing, I will turn to Scripture, but for the moment I want to run through the first part of his life. And I want to tell you, the last 50 years of his, of his life, he was practically blind. He gets into a bit of a mess there, because he was a flawed man as well. But I start at the beginning. He was a son of the promise. 
Abraham and Sarah had him in old age. Abraham was about 99. Sarah, I loved what Phil said, she was something worn out, past it, and worn out. And along comes God and says, you're pregnant. Hey, I would not be laughing. God turned up and told me that. No laughter coming from this one here. I think it's horrific, the thought. But she got, Isaac is the son of the promise. The blessing given to Abraham through you all the nations of the world to be blessed is passed on to his son Isaac. Number one, so are you. This is the bedrock of this message. If you don't get this, the rest of it isn't going to get you at all. You are as much a child of the promise as Isaac was. You are a chosen child of God. You are not an accident that you're in the church. You are chosen by God. You are adopted into his family. You have his spirit living within you. And the blessings now pass down through you. You are called to deliver the blessings to others, just as much as Isaac was called to deliver that blessing on through his generation. You are the promise. Somebody has asked for you. I thought this, we're all. We're here because in the past, people prayed that the faith would go on, that the next generation, aren't we doing it? Praying for the next generation. Can't stop you. We're all that. We're asked of God. Every one of us, is asked of God and are now children of the promise. That's amazing. That's where you start. Fail to believe that and the Christian life doesn't hang right. It has a twist in it. You will have a twist in your Christian walk if you don't believe that you were as much of a child of the promise as Isaac was. Number two, the next big thing we hear is, his father is told by God, take that son, your only son, the son that you love. Go up a mountain, it's three days walk, go up there, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Whoa, here we go. It's a big one, isn't it? This is a big thing, right? Oh. Amazing thing about Abraham. Abraham doesn't do this with zeal, you know. It's not, oh yeah, God has said and I'm off. It says that the following morning, he goes in the cold light of day. When, things, when you've thought about this, hey ho, is this really what God is telling me to do? And off he goes. He takes Isaac with him. Isaac is carrying the wood. You need to know something. Isaac's not a child. Isaac isn't a child at this point. He's not a little boy being dragged along by his father. It says that Isaac is between 17 and 24 years of age when this happens. Abraham, they get to the point top. Abraham builds an altar. He didn't have to lift him on the altar. Abraham puts himself on the altar and allows his father to get a knife and raise it and trusts that his father's faith is enough to stop him from being killed. Can you believe that? Joe, are you willing to come up a mountain with me? Lie on the altar and my faith with a knife in my hand. Thank you, darling. I don't trust you that much is what he said. Can you see the trust this man had? Not just his father's God. So even at that age, 
is already proven just what God means. They believed that even if he died, that God will raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise to him. Do any of us believe the promise of God to us that much? Are we that rooted in our belief in how good God is that he'll even do that? So there we are. So he's this promised son. He's this trusting son. He's a forerunner of Christ in this. Isaac is um, Abraham's God and Isaac is Jesus. That's what God did for us. The third thing we find about him, I think Abraham now and Sarah are getting a bit fed up with him because he's about 40 now and he's not married. He's still living at home. (laughs) So they decide to find him a wife. Do you know what? I never believed in arranged marriages until I had children. (laughs) When you get children, wouldn't you like to be able to choose who they marry? (laughs) And we all do it. Oh, she'd be good for him, wouldn't she? We all try and matchmake between people. But this... Abraham doesn't even go himself to find the, the, the girl. He sends his servant. He sends his servant. And Rebecca's then. He chooses Rebecca and she comes back. And, he, and Isaac says, oh, that's all right. He even, do you know what? You take wise advice sometimes, do you know? People know, think they know everything, don't they? Sometimes, no. But sometimes wise advice. And it wasn't even directly from God. It was from a servant of God. There's some wise advice for you now. Know this business of God will tell me. God will tell me. God will show me. Sometimes you need to listen to wise advice. The result of that was that Isaac became the only one of the patriarchs who only had one wife. He was a faithful man and a loving husband. Abraham. Abraham had Sarah. He had his concubine. And after Sarah died, Abraham married again and had more children. So do you know what? When God gets you going, he keeps you going, doesn't he? Wow. He's way into his hundreds, yeah? Having more kids. Mad. Right? Jacob had two wives. Manipulative. So he ended up with two. Isaac took wise advice and had a faithful marriage. She was a piece of work, but he stayed faithful to her. And then we come to the part that I really want to concentrate on. So we put this up and I'll read it. Genesis 26, 12 to 33. Right. I'm sorry, Lee. I think I've given you. Can you go back one for me? Or I'll read it from here. Don't worry. Because I want to start, because this, just the first few words are important. I'm hopeless giving verses. Do you know that? Dreadful. It's not Lee's fault. <laughs> Need to go back. Right. It's 26 verse 1 it is, actually. It says, Now a severe famine overshadowed the land. I know. Hopeless, aren't I? <laughs> That's the next part. As had happened before in Abram's time. And so Isaac moved to the city of Gera, where, now I want to say Abimelech, being Welsh, but it's, it's Abimelech, I'm sorry. <laughs> King of the Philistines lived. So Jehovah appeared to him there and told him, don't go to Egypt. 
do as I say and stay in this land. If you do, I will be with you and bless you. And I will give all this land to you and to your descendants, just as I promised Abraham, your father. And I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars. And I will give them all of these lands, and they shall be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. I will do this because Abraham obeyed my commandments. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. There was a famine in the land. Got a famine going on anywhere? I seriously believe we have a famine in the land. I seriously believe. The word of God says that there will be a dearth in the land. Not of food and water, but of the word of God. Yesterday, I was talking to Sally on the way to um, coffee after cleaning. And um, I was talking about revival, and I said, oh, Wales was known as the land of revivals. And Sally said, really? And I thought, oh, I better check that up, just in case I got it wrong, because it's hearsay. So I went home last night, and I looked it up, and I was amazed. Between 1735 and 1904, now Ian's there, who's a historian. He'd better not argue with me, that's all I can say. <laughs> Between 1735 and 1904, at some point in Wales, some area in Wales had revival every year. So for two hundred years there had been continual move of God in Wales. I was right, Sally. It's said that there were three major revivals. In the mid-70s, 1700s, you had the revival of Daniel Rowlands and Howell Harris, well known. In the mid-1800s, you had the revival of David Morgan. Any relation? David Morgan. Well, and in 1904, you had the Evan Roberts revival. 100,000 people saved with less population than we've got now. Do you think we're in a time of famine, church? It was told me years ago, about 30 years ago, if this generation doesn't see a revival, it'll be the only generation in Wales to have lived and never seen the move of God. That prediction has come true. 112 years since the revival. Every person who saw it has died. It is history. All right? There's a famine in the land. And it is up to us as the church to dig deep so that we can do something about it. There is a famine in the land. And that's the first thing we tell us about him. There's a famine in the land. And what he does is, God comes to him and he says, I'm going to bless you like I blessed Abraham. The promise of Abraham is going to come to you. And I believe that for the church. I live to see the glory of God in this nation once again. It's all I care about. I don't care about the silly, nitpickety, ridiculous, things that we get into in church that spoils it I live for one thing to see again this nation filled with the glory of God 
and that is my promise, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I want to see it. I don't want to be dead before it comes like Abraham. I want to be alive when it arrives. But that's what I live for. And after all that with Isaac, do you know what he does next? God tells him, this is nothing. God tells him, don't go to Egypt. So he doesn't go. He's the only patriarch to stay in the land, in the promised land. His father went there. He'd gone. But he obeys God and doesn't go. But he gets now, here's his flaw, gets into a bit of bother next. Because what he next does is, he tells Abimelech, because he's settled there with him, that Rebecca's his sister. And until he's the Abimelech looks out the window and sees them canoodling, he thinks he is. As parents, we are very responsible for what we pass on to our children. And you know, he'd passed on all the good to him, hadn't he? He'd passed on all this blessing. Isaac knew about the blessing of God. He trusted him. He knew all that. We'd passed all this good on to him. And then he falls at his father's sin. Kids, obey your parents, listen to your parents, and take their wise advice. But they're not always right. And some of the things that they do don't copy. All right? Don't copy their bad habits. You know when they're not right. And all the kids are smiling because they're very happy with this. They're very happy with this. But sometimes parents are wrong because they have their own issues. Find out what God is saying about it. Find out what God is saying. Don't just listen and follow. And that's for the church, for your life. Find out from God what God wants you to do. Because otherwise you'll just fall into somebody else's sin. Right. We finish with the past. And this is the next bit. Now we can go to 12 to 33. And I've talked a lot, but I've got a lot more to say. So aren't you all glad about that? Whoa, you think you should be here till two, and I don't mind. Right. <laughs> Genesis 26 and verse 12. Isa planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Stop there. Do you think you can reap in a time of famine? Do you think we can reap in a time of famine? Yeah, because I believe we can reap in a time of famine. If you sow the seed and you water them, I believe we can reap. It's so Jesus' words, isn't it? The seed that sold out, fell on good soil will reap 20, 40, 60, even 100 fold. You can reap in a time of famine. Right, Lee, we go on. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech nearly said it. Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up. After Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. 
Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gera quarrelled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water's ours. So he named the well Ezek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarrelled. So he named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gera with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Michael, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, because us, sorry, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other, then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. Right. Where do we start with this? Abimelech and the men stopped up his father's wells. Water is a time of famine, and water is the most precious source you have. And yet, they didn't want Abraham's water. They stopped at the well. They threw sand in the wells. The wells were blocked. They didn't want it. Will doesn't want our water at the moment. And do you know what? This is what I'm going to say. There's a load of sands and stones in the wells. And the well is us and the church. That's where the wells are. There's a lot of sand and stones in them. Wow, we're full of sand and stones. And the world doesn't want us. Part of it is the world. It's stopped it up. We get a lot of old stuff going on. We've got false ideologies. We've got other religions. We've got all sorts of things that people now have a mishmash of what God is really like. We have a mixed religion going on. Rest like in the days of Israel. It's mixed People believe a bit of this, a bit of that, and a bit of that, anything that suits me. And the well of pure water is blocked because people don't want to be told only Jesus. So they block it up. Besides that, we've got a whole heap of positive thinking out there. And if you could put yourself right without him, what do you want Jesus for? Why do you need Jesus if you can put yourself right without him? So we get blocked again. There's a whole heap of things block in the wells that went through fresh water to the people of this land. We have storms in our own lives. You know, my disappointment with God, my pain over the past, my selfish ambition for what I want, my argument, my anger, 
my disbelief, all these toxic emotions cause stones in our own lives and sand that blocks the fresh water. And the first well he builds is a well called Bia La Horoi, I think it's pronounced. And it's, it's a well, and it says he found a fresh gushing string, a well of living water. Literally means living water. This is what Jesus says. If you, Jesus in... Um, the next one up, please. John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. If you want to unblock the wells and release fresh water to yourself and people, there's only one place you can do it, and that's Jesus. He's the source of all fresh water, and he's the source of all living water. And I have to say what Phil said two weeks ago, where's your chair? No, we come to church perhaps once a week. We have an hour on a Sunday, and we think that's enough. It's a beginning, it's a start, and it's better than nothing. But it's not enough. It's not enough. It's like drinking a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning and expecting to be hydrated for the rest of the week till you come next Sunday. And our, everything else that goes on in the week throws sand into our well because we haven't got enough fresh water coming through us. So we, it's Jesus. Where's your chair? Where's your chair? Do you spend any time with him at all during the week? Do you talk to him? And you know what? When you say spend time with Jesus, and this is dig a little deeper. So for those of us who do spend time with Jesus, dig a little deeper. And for those of us who don't spend time with Jesus, dig a little deeper. How much time do you spend with him? And you know, it's not about reading what somebody else has said. And it's not just about that. It's not about all second-hand knowledge coming to me. It's like drinking from somebody else's water bottle. It's filthy stuff. All floaters in it. Who wants that? You don't want to get hydrated by that, do you? You know? Drink after a child and say, oh, gosh, it's a mess. It's fresh, living water where God, Jesus, speaks to you personally. You know? We're not all prophets. We can't all come and tell you what God has got for you. You have to find that out for yourself. You have to go to him on a daily basis and get the fresh water that he's got for you. Let him show you how much he loves you. That's all he wants to do. And do you know what? When you come into contact with him, really come into contact with him, it puts everything else in perspective. I used to sing to my girls when they were babies, when they wouldn't sleep. Listen. You know what it's like, our parents, in that bedroom like this. <sighs> Gritted teeth. <laughs> Singing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't think it made them sleep any better. But it made me feel better. <laughs> and that's it. There was another lovely song, when I look into your holiness, when I gaze upon your loveliness, 
when all things around me become shadows in the light of you, you want fresh water? Look to Jesus. It's what the Bible tells us to do. It's so simple. It's so simple and we complicate it so much. Just go to Jesus. He says, come. Come if you're thirsty. Come. Get fresh water for yourselves. Don't have second-hand slops. Somebody else has gone through their minds. They might have muddied it. You've got their own opinions in it. And I'm not saying don't take wise advice. But find it for yourselves. Please, I urge you, find Jesus for yourselves. And for the church, it's the same thing. The same thing. You know, slavishly following the way another big church does things. Wonderful that they've got fresh water. But it might not be for Almondwood. You know, what's going on in America, in Australia, or wherever there's big churches around the world? That might not be what God's got for Almondwood. Dig deep. Dig deep. Find the fresh water that this town needs. And then, there was a quadrille. So long they come and say, have you go. This is ours. Blessing doesn't mean that you're not going to get any contention in your life. You're going to get a lot of it. Know what he did? He moved on. And he comes to a place called Sitna. Root name for Satan. Saint digs, digs a well there. Fire water. Wrong they come again. That water's ours, not for you. Know what he does? Moves on. Abram was a peacemaker. A peacemaker. He moved on rather than quarrel. Over what was right, the wells were dug by Abraham, his father. It was families. They'd stopped them up, he'd unplugged them, and still they took him for them. He was in the right. Right was on his side. And he walks away. He's a peacemaker. James tells us this. If you could put the next one up, please. James 3, verse 13 to 18. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives of a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy, and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. I can't add anything to that, really, can I? Where we are quarrelling because we think we are right even though we may be 
right. We're not using the wisdom of God. We're showing that we're carnal. Even more than that, sometimes devilish. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? So Isaac shows here that he's a godly man. And his wisdom is peacemaker. Love him and move on. You can have that. I won't quarrel over it. Why? We go right back to the beginning. He knows he's the child of the promise. He knows God has blessed him. He knows God has promised to bless him. He lives in that promise. And when I know who I am in Christ, I won't quarrel to get my own way. I won't. I'll trust God in it. And if I have to move on, I'll move on. And sometimes it's not from places we move on. It's from attitudes, entrenched feelings and entrenched beliefs that that's what we need to move on from. And he moves and he comes to a place called Rehoboth. And now it gets nice. This is challenging. And I've been long. I feel I've spoken for hours. He comes to a place called Rehoboth. And Rehoboth means a room to grow, a spacious place. This is where you're meant to be. You're meant to be growing. You're meant to be producing fruit. Like an olive tree, planted with the water side, drawing up fruit in due season. Putting his tr trust in the Lord, it says, Psalm 52. That's what we're meant to be like. And you can only do it once again. Colossians 3, 2 tells us, let your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love and draw up nourishment from him. That's where you stand. You see, you won't grow just because somebody says you're fantastic. You won't grow just because you haven't got any problems going on in your life. You won't grow. As a matter of fact, the problems in my life have been my biggest growth points when I look back. Those things that I thought I never want that to happen again have been the means of really allowing me to see God for who he is. Because you have to see him in it. So your roots go into him. It doesn't go into what people say about you. At the end of the day, who cares? Matthew 5 has got a wonderful phrase in the message. It says this. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. God makes up his own mind. So there we go. That's the Bible. That's it. God doesn't care what people say about you. They can say you're wonderful. God says, no, they're not. Not so very good. People can say you're bad. God says, take a deeper look. You know? No matter about people or you. God says, so your roots go down into him and we bear fruit. And the fruit we bear, we know what it is, don't we? Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, self-control. That's what we bear. So I ask you, when you're squeezed, what comes out of you? Sweet or sour? Yeah, Sweet or sour? What are you? I know where I am very often. It's not sweet. But that's the thing. We have to really grow in this love that God has for us. Seth brings on resentment. But here, he doesn't, there's no quarreling. But he moves on to Beersheba. It's the last one. I'm coming to the end. And Beersheba is different. Because see, people come to him now and say, God's with you. Do you know how much you're watched by the world? Do you know how the world is watching the church? 
says he doesn't care about us. Says we're a irrelevant thing in this day and age. Don't want to know about us. But my words step out of line. And they say, call themselves Christians. They still expect a lot of the church. Even though they say they don't want anything to do with it. And Abimelech had been watching. And he'd seen the life that Isaac had led. This good man. And he said, God's blessed you. We'll make a treaty. And Isaac feeds them. This is why originally I was going to call it find, flourish, and feed. That's Jesus. Feed your enemies. Enemies thirsty, enemies hungry. Feed them. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Bless, I say, not curse. We're to love our enemies. Problem. Very challenging now. We have a hard job loving each other. The saddest thing you hear about is friendly fire. Ed Silvoza wrote a book many years ago. I can't remember the name of the book. He's an Argentinian evangelist. And in the book he said, the main problem in the church, the main stone in the church, if you like, that stops the water flowing, is anger among Christians. Anger with each other. Do you know that's the biggest stone we've got? I think we have to love each other first. Love the lost. No, you can't. No, you can't. You can't love the lost. If you don't like me, hear me now. If you don't like me, why you shouldn't, baffles me, but that's not the point. <laughs> if you don't like me, I am replicated out in the world hundreds of times. How often do you say, well, it reminds me of so-and-so. Oh, she talks exactly like this one. Oh, I can't bear her. She's like so-and-so. Right? How many times do we say it? Because out there, there are hundreds of me. There's hundreds of Liana, Emily, Luke, John. I can name every one of you. So take a look around. And whoever you're not getting on with in this church, whoever you've got a beef with, they are replicated out in the world. Hundreds of times. That's the lost. That's the lost. You can't love the lost. And actually, when John tells us this, if you could put the last one up, please, it's when John 4. And if you don't get anything else, get this, please. When John 4. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. This is pretty strong words here. He's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's impossible to say I love God and hate people. It's not possible. The saddest thing in a war is when you're a friendly fire. Don't you? They were killed. Who killed them? Their own people. Anger among Christians. So yes, we have to feed our enemies, but we have to start by loving ourselves. We have to start by loving the church. Biggest stone Dig deep at this point. Dig deep. Get it out. You can't. Nothing. Nothing happens. Oh, you need to put this on. I asked Roger many years ago. My husband's a fisherman and I am finishing. My husband's a fisherman. And I asked him, how does the salmon find its way back? And those who've heard me speak before have heard this story. How does it find its way back? to that river 
where it all started. And he said, well, let me tell you. He said, it swims. It comes along, it swims in. And he tastes the water with his tongue. <laughs> Did you know that? They taste the water. <laughs> and they see if this water is the right water. Right? And then it goes on a bit more. And then it comes closer to his home ground, to that river. And he tastes the water again. To see. <laughs> and eventually gets there. The world is tasting the water. You want to fish for men? They're tasting the water. And a spring, fresh spring, can't give salty water. Can't give salty water. It's waiting for the fresh water that we've got to bring. So you're willing to undig the wells? Willing to get out your stones? Willing to get out the stones in the church? Are we happy to do that? We tell you a story about Evan Roberts, and I'll finish. Absolute end, I promise. <laughs> September the 29th, 1904, in a prayer meeting, an evangelist by the name of Seth Joshua prayed a prayer. In a prayer. And two words in the prayer said, bend me. And there was a young man in the audience, in the, audience, in the, in the, um, in the prayer meeting. And those two words the Holy Spirit took to his heart. And he prayed them and he prayed them and he prayed them. He prayed them crying in the seats of the chapel until eventually he broke and the Holy Spirit came on him. The name of the man was Evan Roberts. The result was revival. Nobody's ever heard of Seth, Joseph, Seth Joshua. So you see, you don't have to be famous. You just have to be godly. You don't have to be a superstar. You just have to do what God wants you to do. Revival followed. There were two themes to the revival. First one was a hymn, Demagariad. There is love, vast as the ocean. Because Evan Roberts had been convicted on, God commended his love to us when we were yet sinners. He said, I had nothing to commend me. So it's the love of God that held him. And from there on, there was another theme. Bend the church, Lord, and save the world. Bend the church and save the world. So, can we be bent out of shape for God? Can we dig deep? Can we get fresh water for ourselves and the town? Please, my heart is to see God's glory, but he's dependent on us. If you want to open the heavens and let it rain, we have to be prepared to dig deep. Dig deep. In Jesus' name. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.